Today on His Hands, His Feet podcast, you get to hear the next installment of the Dad to Dad series. And again, if you haven't heard of any of the others, I encourage you to go back and look for Dad to Dad series, and you'll get to hear some other interviews that I sit down with an adoptive dad, and we just talk about what it's like to be an adoptive dad, the challenges, the joys, all the other things that go into it. But this episode's a little bit different, and I'm excited to to bring to you um, a two-parter. And one, the first half of this episode, you get to hear Brett Milliken share about how he and his wife, Melissa, adopted their daughter from Ethiopia not quite two years ago. It's an incredible story, and I know every adoption is an incredible story. So I'm excited for you to hear their story. And then about halfway through, we'll transition into a typical dad-to-dad episode where we just sit and talk about what it's like to be an adoptive dad. So join me now in this episode of Dad to Dad on His Hands, His Feet podcast. Well, Brett, thanks for taking time out of your schedule. I know you're busy, you got a lot going on, uh, both work-wise and family. I love sitting down and talking to other adoptive dads, so thanks. Yeah, absolutely, my pleasure. Well, let's just start off by hearing the makeup of your family. So we, uh, so I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We yeah. uh, we've been married 17 years, been dating for uh, 23 years. Wow. And we uh, we have our oldest daughter is 14 years old. Her name's Kylie. And then we have our 12 uh, year old son Ethan, and then nine year old, about to be 10, Landon. And then our youngest is our youngest daughter, Helena, who will be four in December. And she's we adopted her from Ethiopia. Anybody that's familiar with international adoption these days, it's it can be a kind of a long road. Yeah, well, and I think our story is no exception. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we decided to jump into the adoption journey, uh, I think January of 2012, I believe. Uh, we had been going through uh, that book, Radical, by David Platt, as a church. Mm-hmm. And uh, after reading that book, I had always wanted to adopt, and my wife was always a bit hesitant. And uh, after reading that book, she just she felt convicted that the reasons that she had resisted adoption were coming from a place of fear and, and selfishness. And man, to her credit and her humility, she she repented of that and said, "All right, let, let's do it." You know, because mm-hmm. we had had um, we'd had four miscarriages uh, up to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of us felt like there was more children that God wanted us to have. Um, but after the fourth miscarriage, my wife uh, basically said, you know, I'm done. I, yeah. I don't want to go through that again. Uh, but she still said, I feel like there's more children. Hmm. But she was resistant to adoption. And so, um, you know, I didn't want to push or press. And so I said, all right, well, man, if God, if that's your will, then yeah. it'll happen. So when she came to me and said, hey, it's time, I, I think God wants us to adopt. Uh, you know, I think she was expecting a, a conversation and I immediately picked up the phone and called, <laughs> called the adoption agency here in Austin, Texas, uh, and, and got the process started. Wow. Uh, and so fast forward a little bit, you know, we, we decided we we're going to adopt from Ethiopia because the, the options that were available to us as we prayed through those, we just felt that's where God was calling us to go. Mm-hmm. Um, we were initially told it was going to be a 12 to 18 month process. Uh, it ended up being almost six years. Are Total. you serious? I didn't yeah. realize it was that long. Yeah, almost six years. Yeah, and so we we started the process, uh, went through all the initial steps of it, the contract, all those things. We initially were matched with twins, a, a twin mm. brother and sister, um, and we were ecstatic, man, just so excited because we had been actually praying for twins. Huh. 
Uh, so we got matched, and then oh, as the process continued on and they were sending us the updated pictures and such, we could mm-hmm. tell that there were some developmental issues going on with the, with the little girl. Um, and so we had we paid to have her sent to a neurologist to get evaluation, see what was going on. Came back with a prognosis that she had a real rare form of cerebral palsy that was mm-hmm. going to require basically feeding tubes, and mm-hmm. she'd never be able to walk, and it was just a real bad prognosis, at which point we then... Yeah. We're stuck in this place of right. if if we have five children and her, right. could we give her the care that she needs and those other five the care that they're going to need? Right. Um, we would have had to go back and, and get qualified to do special needs adoptions, which right. is going to require additional time that they would have to stay in the orphanage. Mm-hmm. And so through lots of prayer and lots of tears, um, we, we felt like God told us it was okay right. to let that one go, uh, which was then like another miscarriage. Yeah, I can't and imagine so that was, what yeah. that was like, yeah. That was that was pretty devastating, man. There was lots of lots of late nights with crying and questioning and mm-hmm. you know, God, what in the world are you doing here? This doesn't make any sense. It seemed mm-hmm. like everything was going the direction we wanted to go and and um and you know, but but God continued to be faithful with us and walk us through that and, yeah. and what really confirmed that for us was there was another couple who had just kind of got into the adoption process who lives in Kentucky hmm. um, who had actually been reading our blog hmm. and reading about what we were going through and having to the, to walk through this decision of letting mm-hmm. that referral go or keeping that referral. Um, they had been praying for twins with special needs. Wow. And so once we let that referral go, yeah, it was immediately, we, we had no control of this, but sure. it was immediately sent to them. Wow. And so they accepted the referral of the twins. She then reached out to us all, over online because she'd been reading our blog. And she said, hey, I think huh. I just got matched with those twins that y'all had to let go. Wow. And, and what was really cool was the, the blog post that we wrote about that, the, the scripture that my wife had put at the end of the blog post was the same scripture that they had been praying through as their theme scripture for their adoption journey. Yeah, I got goosebumps. Yeah, that's I mean, like, it, that's it, a goosebump story. And so, man. you know, there was because man, when you get to a place like that as a as a, as a parent going through adoption, yeah, and you're excited, and then there's an issue, and there's mm-hmm. there's something that complicates it. Man, the the amount of shame and guilt mm-hmm. and and just the things that we were wrestling through and having to make that decision, you know, because everything in us is like, no, we. We want to make it happen. We want to be sure. the parents who can make it happen. Sure. We we want because we want to love this little girl. We want mm-hmm. to love her brother. But, and then having to come to the reality of, I don't know that realistically we can make that happen. Right. There's the pain of of feeling like somehow God's betrayed us. Mm-hmm. There's the guilt of feeling like we've betrayed her. Mm-hmm. There's the the shame of what are other people going to think right. when they hear that we walked away from this because the assumption is they're just going to think oh it got hard and so you walked away. Sure. Well, that was the farthest thing from the truth. Yeah. So walking through all of that and then to have this other family reach out to us and say, no, 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 you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and had we not gone through that part and paid to have the, the right. neurologist take a look at her, yeah. no one else would have had the information on what's going on with her body right. to be able to provide the care and the treatment. And so sure. God, truly Romans 8, man, God yeah. worked it all out. For her good and for our good, yeah. and for that other family's good, and we're still we're still in touch with them. And That's we get cool. them, they send us photos of how she's doing, wow. and what the doctor said she would never walk; she'd be on a feeding tube. And we had just hundreds of people praying for her when we were in that process. Yeah. 
She's walking. She's eating. Wow. She's doing phenomenal. She's doing fantastic, way better than the doctors wow. ever thought she was going to be yeah. doing. So to see God's hand in that just kind of gave us the confirmation and the confidence to continue moving forward regardless of what other people yeah. might say or think. And I'm really glad you, you told that story because we do. We get trapped into that thinking that, well, I've got to be the one that steps up and takes care of a child that's yeah. been presented to us. And knowing what you what your strengths are as a parent, as a family, and what the what the needs are, yeah, I think it's you have to think through that. Yeah, I guess what it came down to for us was, you know, mm-hmm. it, it would have been easy for us to. Oh yeah, I mean, it would have been hard, but it would have been easy for us to say, no, we're going to do it because sure. because we want to be known as the people who do it. Yeah, but I, to me, that would have been the selfish response because that would yeah. not have been what was best for for the little girl. Yeah, and you know, I think part of the adoption journey is, is uh, if we 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 can so easily get it twisted. Mm. and the thinking about adoption and no one would admit this mm-hmm. but I think this is part of the thought process is how people are going to see me uh, absolutely. as the one who adopted this kid absolutely, as opposed to what's best for this kid totally agree with you yeah. and, uh, and so that was, that, was, that was a bit you know the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit had to put a mirror in front of my face in yeah. that moment and, and basically tell me hey stop trying to be the hero here wow. real hero is willing to let, let what's best for the kid be yeah be the deciding factor. And that's uh, cool. so that was tough. But then we, so we got back into the referral mm-hmm. process and uh, got matched with Helena when she was six months old or five months old, sorry, five months old. And we were told we would get our, our MOA letter, our letter from the Ethiopian government okay. within the next six months, which would then trigger the timeline for us to travel over and get the court date and, and bring her home that we would have her home within the year. Hmm. So before, before her maybe possibly before her first birthday. Yeah. Definitely before her second birthday, we would have her home and, and be able to... So this is like 2014 or something? So like this that? was, um, let's see, she was born in 14, yeah, so five months. Well, this is 2015 because okay. she, was, she was born in December. So, you know, what's that? Um, April. So yeah. a, April, May, May. April, we got matched with her in April, May. Yeah. And we were told we'd have her home hopefully before the next December. Okay. Definitely within the next few months after that, if not. Yeah. So when December of 2007 or 2016 rolled around and we had been waiting 19 months for our referral letter, mm-hmm. for our, our MOA letter. So you still hadn't got the letter. Wow. Still hadn't gotten the letter. And we basically were watching Helena grow up in photos. Yeah. And in the midst of all of that, hearing about cholera outbreaks. Mm-hmm. And later on in 2016, there was all these, these government unrest and protest. Mm-hmm. And there's a... American that had been killed in the midst of all that. And basically it seemed like the Ethiopian government, the country itself was coming unraveled. Mm -hmm. And there was questions. uh, There were moments where adoption was paused and threats that it was going to be shut down. And, and so there's all this turmoil of our daughter is over there on the other side of the world. Right. Yeah. Not, not being malnourished, contaminated water, Right, like all everything that they experience over there, sure. right? And and there's the threat that our process is going to be shut off. Yeah. And so in December 2016 rolled around, and it had been 19 months, and we'd been on the phone with our agency, on the phone with the Ethiopian government, and had been told, oh yeah, it's two more weeks, and then three more weeks, and then six more weeks, and there was just all this. You know, up in the air, man. Oh, yeah. International adoption. There's just, there's no guarantee. Yeah, everybody listening that's done international. Yeah, they're not they're not their heads about. right now. They're, yeah, <laughs> but we know what that's like. Yeah. So December of 2016, 
I basically had had enough, and, and I said, I'm just going to get on a plane and yeah. fly over there. Of course, I knew that could also go really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I show up at the Ethiopian government's door unannounced and uninvited, uh, they could just shut our process down altogether. So I prayed, and Melissa and I prayed, and, uh, and I said, Lord, you know, this is what I want to do. Uh, but I know that could also be really stupid and foolish. Uh, I tend to be a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. Uh, so at least I have, thanks to my wife, I have enough wisdom to at least ask God <laughs> to, to, to be with me in my idiocy. Uh, and, and so um, as I prayed, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, he said, son, I want you to go. Hmm. He said, I've actually frustrated your process on purpose because I want to use Helena's story to paint a picture of the gospel to touch the hearts of many, that a father is willing to do whatever it takes to bring his children home. And, uh, of course, I cried and yeah. said, all right, I'm going. And uh, that morning, booked our flight. I was on an airplane 13 hours later, flying uh, over to Ethiopia. Arrived in Ethiopia on a Thursday night. And Friday morning, our, my caseworker in country there came and picked me up, took me over to the, uh, the government offices where MOA operates. And... Um, on the way there, he tells me, he says, Brett, you know, this is a really bad idea. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Sammy, I know. And he says, no, 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 this is a really <laughs> bad idea. He's like, they, they're not going to want to see you. Like he, said, he said, number one, the guards aren't going to let you through the gate. Number two, if we get through the gate, nobody's going to want to talk to you. If someone does happen to give you the time to, to talk, they're going to be really upset that you're there. And most likely, they're going to further complicate and delay your, your process. And uh, I said, Simi, I appreciate your concern, and I, I understand everything you're saying. Right. Like, but when I prayed, God told me to come and said that he was going to open every door that needed to be opened. Hmm. He said, okay. And so we pull up to the MOA office. We walk up to the security checkpoint. A couple guys standing there with their assault rifles. MC, mm-hmm. I don't know what they were, but, you know, I'm yeah. not a military guy, but they had machine guns. Right. We walk up, Simi uh, basically explains who I am and why I'm there. They kind of look me up and down, and then there's both of them just stand to the side and basically just tell me go through. Hmm. And so Simi looks at me with a surprise in his eyes, and he's like, quick, go, 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 go. <laughs> so we walk through, we go up the stairs, and uh, the first door we come to is the office of the director of MOA, the guy that runs the whole department. And uh, he just so happens to open his door right as we're coming to the top <laughs> of the stairs. So he sees my caseworker, recognizes him, and is wondering why he's there without an appointment. Mm-hmm. Sees me standing behind him and instantly gives my, my caseworker a look of disapproval. But he invites us in because, you know, in Ethiopia, that's what you do. Sure. You, you, you at least invite someone in, right? Hospitality. We come in. Simi says, turns to me and says, this is the guy you need to talk to. And then he, go, he probably goes and stands <laughs> in the corner and stares at the ground. And I'm like, does this guy speak English? Like, what, what am right. I doing here? So I introduce myself. He, we sit down. I tell him why I'm here, that, you know, we've been waiting 19 months to get our MOA letter. Uh, we've been getting the runaround. No one's been straight up with us. Uh, and I was there basically just to get some answers and figure out what I needed to do to, to get the letter so that we could, we could bring our daughter home. To which he immediately replies, who told you you should be here? This was a bad idea. You mm-hmm. should not be here in my office. Mm-hmm. You know, after almost wetting my pants, uh, I, the Holy Spirit says, ask him about his kids. Mm-hmm. And so I said, sir, I'm, I don't mean any disrespect. I'm not here to tell you how to do your job. 
uh, I'm just here to get some answers. And I said, do you have any children? He said, yes, I have three. Uh, I said, how old is your youngest? He said, I have a four-year-old girl. And I said, well, sir, imagine if you were on one side of the world and she was on the other side of the world, stuck in a situation where she wasn't being nourished properly. She was drinking contaminated water. She has parasites. She was uh, not well, and she wasn't being cared for the way that you would care for her. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing you could do about it because there was a guy in that part of the world that had the power to simply sign a piece of paper to give you permission to go get your little girl, but for whatever reason, he wouldn't do so. Mm-hmm. I said, sir, if you were in that situation, what would you do? And uh, he was sitting back with his arms crossed with this you know, grumpy look on his face. And suddenly he leans forward in his chair, he uncrosses his arms, and a smirk, a little smile comes on his face. And he says, and I'll I'll do my best accent here, he says, if I were that man, I would get on a plane, fly halfway around the world, and find the guy who had that letter. And I said, that's why I'm here. So you're the man who has the power to sign that letter. And I just told him, I said, I'm I'm not leaving here without my daughter. Mm. To which he replied, well, Why? He said, well, who is she to you? What is she, why does she matter? You never met her. You don't know who she is. Like, she's just some orphan kid. Like, why, why does that matter to you? Mm-hmm. To which then I, I, the Holy Spirit said, share the gospel. And I said, well, sir, I'm a Christian. So I don't know what you believe because, you know, there's Orthodox, there's Muslim, there's mm-hmm. Christian. So, sir, I don't know what you believe, but I'm a Christian. And, and what the Bible tells me is that when I was separated from my father, when I was starving spiritually, when I was isolated spiritually, when I was apart from the family that he had made me for, and I was dying of my sin, that he was willing to send his son. He was willing to leave his home to come to, to find me, to bring me back to be a part of his family. Mm-hmm. I said, it's the love that God has for me that he's put in my heart for Helena, for this little girl. And I said, so with all due respect, she's not just some orphan girl. That's my daughter. Mm-hmm. And, and then he, he, uh, he kind of leans forward and he says, he kind of looks to the left and the right, and he says, I too am a Christian. <laughs> He's like, what you just said about adoption is what I believe. That's why I do what I do. He's like, but mm-hmm. nobody else around here believes like that. And wow. he said, so we have to kind of keep it hush-hush. Wow. Uh, so then we, so we went into this conversation about the gospel and God's heart, the Father's heart for the orphan and, and how adoption is a picture of the gospel. And, and it just became this beautiful conversation that the Holy Spirit was just all in. And then we finished talking. He, he looks over to Simi, my, my caseworker, and they say something in Amharic for like two minutes. Simi then turns to me and he's like, okay, we need to go. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He hasn't given me an answer. Like, I need my letter. Like, I need some kind of confirmation that what I just said matters. Right. And Simi just says, no, no, go, 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 go. And so we kind of rush out the door. I'm completely confused at this point because I'm thinking, man, we had a great conversation and now he's kicking us out of his office. We get down into the car. Open the door, shut the door. Once we're sitting in the car, Simi throws his arms up and just goes, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. And I'm like, praise God, what? What happened? Like, I don't understand what happened. I said, what did he say? He said, he just told me that he was about to be on a plane in two hours going to another part of the country for some government meetings that he has all week. Yeah. So he said, if we hadn't come today, wow. we would have missed him and nothing would have been able to happen for another week. He said, but... After y'all's conversation, what he told me was this. He was going to reschedule his flight and reschedule all those government meetings so that he could locate your file and get the letter signed that you need signed so we could get it into the courts. Wow. Of course, I just celebrated, cried, you oh, know, thankful for God. And uh, so the weekend goes by. Monday morning rolls around. Simi comes and meets me at the hotel that I was in and uh, gives me the good news that we got the MOA letter. 
Mm. Uh, then my wife comes, and it, the cheapest flights we could find for her with the money we had left over was going to take a week. So she shows up on Sunday, Christmas Day wow. in Addis Ababa, um, which then is requires you're supposed to go visit your child for two days before you can go meet with the judge. Well, the orphanage is closed on Sunday, so we weren't going to be able to go visit. Court happens on Tuesdays, so we had to get Sunday, Monday in before we could go to the court on mm. Tuesday and try to convince the judge to see us without an appointment. So we, we called the orphanage, and uh, because I'd already been there for a week visiting Helena, going to the orphanage, getting to spend time with her, and meeting the ladies who work there, um, God, again, just gave us favor. Mm-hmm. We called the orphanage, and they said, well, we're not open today. You can't come visit, but if you'll come, we'll let you take Helena off-site wow. to a, a, a little resort down the street, and she can spend all day Sunday with you, spend the night, and you'll have her Monday, mm-hmm. and that'll be the two days. So we did that. We go, we grab her. Um, man, I had to, we, we, we got to spend the, the all day Sunday with her, play with her, um, spend the night at the hotel there. Of course, I, I had to sleep sitting up the whole night because she was so congested from the air pollution. Mm. Anytime she lay down, she literally started gagging on her on, on phlegm and snot. And so I, I slept sitting up all night so she could <laughs> sleep on my chest. And of course, I didn't sleep a wink, but man, it was, it was, it was yeah. one of the most amazing nights of my life. She's getting a hold of my, my daughter there. Um, then we take her back the next morning on Tuesday. We go to the court and uh, basically say, hey, our appointment is not for two more weeks, but we've got other kids at home and we want to get back home as quickly as possible. Is there any way we can see the judge today? To which the lady laughed at us and told us that's impossible. It's not going to happen. And uh, I told her, I said, well, with all due respect, ma'am, I prayed and God told me that it was going to happen. So what do I need to do? <laughs> And she she laughed again. She said, all right, well, you would have to go sign this affidavit. You're going to have to go uh, get pledge this oath, get this thing signed, get it up to the, the, the judge's clerk. She's going to have to get it to the judge, and then he's going to have to agree to meet with you unannounced. And she said, but it won't. It's, that's not possible. That's not going to happen. We said, well, where's the affidavit office? So we went to the affidavit office, introduced ourselves to the lady, said, hey, here's what we're trying to do. Here's what we need. She laughs at us, tells us that's not possible, but she signs that, notarizes and signs the affidavit for us. We go put our hand on this I'm hard Bible and have to <laughs> pledge an oath, which they ask us in I'm hard, and we just, we say, ow, which is yes, and I'm hard. I don't even know what we're saying yes to, oh but that's goodness. what we need to do. So we say yes, sends us over to, to the other part. Uh, they laugh at us. We do what we got to do there, and then we take the, the, the document up to the judge's chambers. And every time his clerk opens the doors to announce the next family to come in, our caseworker is trying to hand her this this document. Mm-hmm. And she just continually dismisses it, dismisses mm-hmm. it like six times. Leave me alone. Get out of here. Leave me alone. Go home. Uh, well, then she opens up the door and she says, okay, the judge is not seeing any more adoption cases today. If you're here and you haven't been seen yet, go home mm-hmm. and we'll contact you in regards to when your, your next when your next hearing will be. And so our caseworker, one last ditch effort, just says, please, just show this to the judge. And so she finally kind of, because, you know, like the the persistent widow, she finally gives in. She takes the paper. She walks back in, shuts the door, and we're just out there just praying. About five minutes later, the door opens. She looks at us with this look of surprise on her face. She says, the judge said he'll see you. Wow. And so we just immediately rush into his office. Uh, We sit down. He asks us a series of questions. You know, I'd been there for about two, over two weeks now. So I've mm-hmm. picked up a little, I'm heart. So I'm trying to speak my best, I'm heart to kind of impress and, and, and honor him. 
And I guess it worked because uh, he, he granted us custody of Helena right there and, and uh, told us that the, the documents would take three to five days to, to be processed, to come back in three to five days to get them, uh, at which point uh, our caseworker had told us to, to try and push on this. And so I did. So I said, well, sir, if it's all the same to you, there's any way they could be ready in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> because <laughs> we, we we got other stuff we got to do in order to get get our daughter home oh, man. of course he laughed at me and, and he said you know what let me see what i can do so we went down the street grabbed a bit of coffee called our families and told them we had custody and wow. we were waiting on the documents uh went back over there 30 minutes later and they were in a nice vanilla folder waiting for us to pick them up and go home and then of course the process from there if you're familiar with international adoption uh, those of you out there listening of course you got to get passport you got to get mm-hmm. medical uh, and it was just one thing after another where we just saw the hand of God moving. We, we got our, our medical done. She passed medical. And the, the, the UN, because the United Nations Medical Office, hmm. they had just moved into these new location and the servers hadn't been set up yet. Huh. So they had no printers. There was no way to print documents. But she passes, uh, Helena passed the medical exam. And uh, we said, hey, can we, can we get the documents today? Because we need to get to embassy in order mm-hmm. to, to pass embassy so we can get home. She said, well, it's not possible. The, the guy who's scheduled to come set up our servers isn't going to be here for three more days. Mm. And uh, she said, so, you know, it's going to at least take three days before that can happen. But we had prayed, and God said we were going to have our, our documents that day. So I said, well, ma'am, <laughs> if it's all the same to you, <laughs> I prayed about this, and God told me that we were going to get our documents today, so we're going to come back this afternoon. Huh. And, uh, and, and there was a team of, there was a couple other families there who were adopting Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and we'd all been praying together yeah. and basically like somehow we're going to get these documents today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we get over there, we come back that afternoon. Of course she's irritated because now she's got to deal with us while she's trying to do her other job. And we sat out there for probably four or five hours mm-hmm. waiting for the end of the business day and just seeing every time we asked her, Hey, are the printers ready? The printers mm-hmm. ready. She's like, no, no, no. And then right at the end of the day, she comes out and she says, somehow the printers are online. Wow. Here's your documents. That's awesome. So we got that. Then, of course, we had to go to embassy. And the embassy, uh, they only see cases on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So this was Thursday afternoon that we, we got the paperwork, Thursday evening where we got the paperwork for the medical. Yeah. So we were going to have to wait till the following Tuesday to go try and set up our appointment with embassy. But, again, our, that group of, of families that we were with, we all prayed. We said, man, we just we trust that God's going to do something. So we went ahead and filled out the paperwork and and uh, went to embassy Friday morning, unannounced, uninvited. Mm. <laughs> Told them, hey, here's who we are. Here's what we're trying to do. We want to get home. Um, there was still some government unrest going on in Ethiopia, so that kind of helped us a little. I mean, we got there at 7 a.m., and by 11 a.m., we were walking out of there with passports and all the paperwork mm. that we needed. We'd already booked flights for that evening. That's awesome. Trusting that God was going to do what, what yeah. God said he was going to do. And so uh, by that night, and what was amazing was... Um, Months and months and months before I went over to Ethiopia, as we were praying about our adoption and asking for God to just mm-hmm. open the doors, man, what do we need to do? Uh, I was, as I was praying for Helena, um, I felt like God spoke to me and said that her middle name was going to be Noel. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, okay, that's, cool. that's a pretty name, Helena Noel. That's, mm-hmm. that's nice. I, was like, I don't know what Christmas has to do with right. with this adoption process or her name or whatever, but maybe, you know, maybe we'll find out. Um, and so what was cool was the first day that Melissa and I got to hold Helena together as her mom and dad was on Christmas day. Mm. And the day that we finally got her home, January 7th of 2017 is Ethiopian Christmas oh, day. Sure. Wow. And so we met her for the first time on Christmas wow. and she got to meet her brothers and sister on Christmas. 
And at that point, I was like, ah, Noel. Yeah. Well, what also hit me was uh, the name when I got over to Ethiopia. Because I know mm-hmm. Noel means, you know, the nativity. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the incarnation. It's the story of Christ coming in the flesh, right? Mm-hmm. And when I got over to Ethiopia, discovered that Helena means consciousness or mm-hmm. to become aware of. Or another word we would use is like revelation, the revelation okay. of something. And so the hmm. literal meaning of her name is a revelation of the coming of Christ, yeah. which is what God said he was going to use her story to paint a picture of for yeah. others, yeah. Of, of what the gospel was all about. And we met her on Christmas. We got to hold her for the first time as a family on Christmas Day, brought her home on Ethiopian Christmas Day. And so when we look back at the big picture of everything through the miscarriages mm-hmm. and, and the twins and having to wait for, for Helena and going over there to, to bring her home and all the yeah. things that we saw unfold as we look back through hindsight, mm-hmm. right? Suddenly you see this beautiful narrative yeah. of what God had been orchestrating the whole time that in the moment we had no idea. But now that we look back and we see, man, what a beautiful picture of the, of the heart of God. It's a beautiful story for yeah. sure. It's a bit, bit long-winded, but no, I love there's it. a lot no, to tell. No. You can't leave any of that out. Well, I told you that was an amazing story, and I know you enjoyed listening to all the hurdles and challenges that Brett and Melissa overcame in their family, but really just the faith that was exhibited as they went through this journey. Incredible, incredible story. But I didn't want to leave it right there. Again, I wanted to sit down and and also hear from Brett what it's been like once Helena came home, being an adoptive dad. And so I just say, hey, let's just get real here and let's talk about what it's like to be an adoptive dad. And so Brett was willing to to go there. We talk about how long she's been part of their family and what it's been like. We talk about struggles that Helena has had. We talk about how um, their other children have um, adapted to having Helena part of the family. We also talk about, as I always do, you know, what are some of the challenges of being an adoptive dad? And of course, all woven through there are joys and, and cool stories that Brett shares. So let's rejoin the interview with Brett Milliken on this Dad to Dad series. So how long has she been home? Uh, let's see, got her home January 7th of 2017, and we're uh, coming up in October, so it's been a year and almost 10 months. So how's that been? And honestly, it's it's been, it's been pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, she... She's an amazing. She's smart. I mean, yeah. she has. She has. She picked up on the English language. Like she's speaking English better than my boys are. <laughs> uh, and um, how old is she now? She's, she she'll be four this December. So okay. she's she's coming up on her fourth yeah. birthday. She um she's just really sweet. You know she she loves uh, uh to give you an example. Like this morning, I'm making her a toaster strudel because she loves eating toaster strudels <laughs> and she likes when I draw pictures on her toaster strudel with the icing. Yeah. And, uh, and so every morning when she wants her toaster strudel, I'll say, Helena, what, what do you want me to draw on your toaster strudel? Mm. And her response is, she'll go, a heart because I love you. <laughs> right? And it's like just yeah. melts you, right? Like whatever and, you want. Yeah, and she's, you know, yeah. she's a, she loves to snuggle and yeah. she'll, you know, she'll lay on your chest and then take her hand and just rub your cheek and, um, you know, just look up and say, Daddy, I love you. And yeah. uh, she's fantastic with her brothers and her sister. And she's just, she's really integrated into the family of, about as, as well as anyone could hope for. It's been, it's been a pretty amazing, yeah. uh, just miraculous situation. Now, of course, there's also been, been some, uh, some struggles there. You know, there's still a lot of, a lot of fear that she deals with. And so you've seen that. Comes, yeah, when yeah. it comes to uh, particularly being in a room by herself. Um, or being in the dark, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she's still, she, she will not go to sleep by herself yet. Yeah. Um, 
it's either I rock her in her rocking chair, then mm-hmm. I lay her in her bed, or she comes and gets in bed with, with me and Melissa. Yeah. Or the last few weeks, she's actually been wanting to go get in bed with, with Kylie, with her older sister. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, there's this constant need of needing to be around someone. Just feeling safe. Yeah, feeling safe. Yeah. And if she wakes up and nobody's in the room, it's not just like a, um, it's not just a, oh, I'm, I'm fussy because mm-hmm. I'm by myself. Like there's a legit like terror, like fear yeah, um, of, of being alone in the dark. She probably doesn't explicitly remember right. that, but she just has that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, where they were sleeping was she's in a room with, you know, 15, 20 mm-hmm. other, other babies. Right. And these basically like shoebox like uh, cribs. Yeah. And, um, and all the nannies go home for the evening. So there's mm-hmm. just one lady there at the orphanage. So, you know, she's in a room feeling alone when she cries. There's no one there to, to really comfort her. Yeah. And uh, so that feeling of isolation, I think, is still some things we're going to have to work through helping her out with that. But for the most part, it's just the transition has been just yeah, really, it sounds really, like really it, good. As far as integrating with your family. It's like yeah. it, I had the thought when you were describing that, how she would respond to you and interact with you. It's like she knows that you came and got her. Yeah, yeah. I, somehow, I hope so. Somehow, oh, somehow, somehow I hope so. Yeah. You know, I mean, the first yeah. couple of days that I met her in Ethiopia, she would scream, <laughs> <laughs> scream with terror and then fall asleep on my chest because she was, <laughs> was so exhausted from screaming. Of course, you know, I'm the first white guy she had seen, oh, yeah, the yeah. first English she had heard. Yeah. So, you know, and, and they're, they're bringing her into the, the room to meet me for the first time saying, this is your daddy. This is your daddy. I'm like, whoa, let's slow the roll here, man. Like, she doesn't know me like that. I'm trying to force this kid on me and force me on her. I'm like, let's, let's ease into this. Yeah, and you so, think about that whirlwind two plus weeks that you had and then, you know, and your wife joining you. Uh, and, then, and then all of a sudden, Elena's on this plane. Yeah. To, who knows where. Yeah, I mean, only God knows how terrorizing oh, that man. is. For, for yeah. her and for children in that in that yeah. situation, you know, and it, it's uh, and I, that's a, it's a bit you know that can be a bit frustrating because you're thinking mm-hmm. you have no idea how much I love you right now and you're right. terrified of me like why are you terrified of yeah. me? Well, because from her perspective, I'm a big scary white guy that she's never sure. seen before that yeah. is taking her away from everything that's familiar. Or after seeing her for a couple of days in the orphanage, they let me feed her, mm-hmm. and I was the, I'll tell you the, the secret is this: I brought pop tarts. That's so, why she likes the exactly, yeah. exactly. And so I would I would give her the sweet pop tarts every time. I was just bribing her with pop tarts. And then finally, the the third day, I went to go see her. She walked into the little room where we, we yeah. they would always bring her to me. And uh, she walked in and just put her arms out, like mm-hmm. waiting for me to pick her up. Now she still wasn't extremely happy about it, but I think yeah. she was kind of like, "Well, this is the routine. Yeah. I guess yeah. he picks me up." Uh, by day four, she had stopped crying. Yeah. By day five, she was laughing and playing. And, and, and interacting with me mm-hmm. like a like you would think a child would. Right. Uh, and so then by the time my wife came, my wife was scary to her, and I was the comfort. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'm sure she was. My, my wife wasn't real happy about, but yeah. but yeah, I think there's something in there that through that kind of the crucible of those first mm-hmm. three, few days of me just having to prove to her that I'm a safe place. Yeah. She didn't think I was, but as, as I as I kind of earned that trust. Uh, and again, by meeting her where she was, not forcing her into to, mm-hmm. to being something that it wasn't, but just just building little by little, yeah. playing with her, playing with the other kids that were in the orphanage with her, yep. and just kind of winning that trust over. I think I mean there is something in her today that kind of yeah. again not explicitly remembers that, but something subconsciously she that feels that safe she feels you. safe with me. Yeah. And so that I think yeah. that's helped, but there's still been some some difficulties yeah. that we're having to work through. So that makes me wonder about this question when she hurts herself or she's upset and she's 
you know, like a typical kid, like your other your biological children, they probably would run to you or you know your wife yeah. for comfort. Yeah. What does Helena do? That's actually that's a really interesting question because for the first couple of months, she would fall down, she would hit her head, she would bump herself. She wouldn't cry and she wouldn't go to anybody. Yeah. And I, I think she had just in those first couple of years of life had learned. Yeah. Well, there, there's no one here. So we actually, Melissa, my wife, did a phenomenal job of kind of coaching her in how, what a proper response to injury was. Yeah. And so she would fall and hit her, bump her head or whatever, and Melissa would come up and go, oh, my goodness, are you okay? And, like, make a big deal out sure. of it. And, and and then I think Helena finally picked up on, okay, like, someone, yeah. they care about what what's happening to me. I don't, you know, right. not what she was thinking, but she, somehow she was interpreting that. Yeah. And uh, to where slowly, if she got hurt, she would she would kind of whimper and like come and point to point to it. You know, she's still learning English. She would come yeah. point to where she was hurt and let us give her a kiss and comfort her and hug her. Good, that's cool. And, uh, and now, you know, if if yeah. her brother, you know, just looks at her funny, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she she's like, "Daddy, he looked at me." You know, and now she. So right. we may have swung the pendulum a little yeah. too far to the other side. Yeah, um, that's yeah. okay. That's okay. Right? But that was interesting that yeah. to see that that evolution of learning. How to allow herself to be cared for like mm-hmm. that was a was a real interesting thing for us yeah. to watch. What about your uh, two boys and, and your oldest daughter? How how's it been for them? Yeah, I mean, was it an adjustment time for them? Or uh, there was a little bit. Um, I think you know because we had been waiting in the process for so long and had been been praying for it for so long. Yeah, and they were involved. With yeah, that and they were involved in that. Yeah. yeah, they helped us do fundraisers, garage sales. Um, yeah. You know, we it was really a family adventure for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were just as excited to get her home as, as we were. Yeah. Um, now, over the last year and a half or so, there's, there's been moments yeah. where, you know, one of my sons will make a comment about Helena getting more attention. or the, Of course, that tends to happen only when he's yeah. not getting what he wants. Right. <laughs> yeah. And he's kind of trying to manipulate us into giving sure. him what he wants. Uh, but that there still means there's still some truth there, right? He's, yeah, he's yeah. digging it up from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so there's been a couple of moments where the, they've commented on, you know, mm-hmm. Helena getting more attention or us having to spend more time with her because of this kind of deal over there. And, yeah. and that's created some good uh, opportunities for conversations to man, remind them, well, when you were her age, we had to spend that much time with you too, right? Because yeah. you can't wipe yourself. You right. can't, exactly. You can't cook for yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and so there's some practicalities to it there. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, um, our oldest daughter, Kylie, man, she's she's so good with Helena. I mean, she's like having a second mom around. Um, our, our, both of our boys are very protective of Helena. They love including her in the things that they're doing. That's cool. Um, our, my youngest son, Landon, his good friends that live across the street from us uh, that he goes and plays with, he, he takes Helena by the hand and walks across the, mm-hmm. walks across the street with them so she can be a part of what they're doing and playing. And, yeah. Um, I think for the most part, and this is just by the grace of God, our, our kids have grasped what Helena needs. Yeah. Like to, to that need to feel loved, to feel included, mm-hmm. to feel safe. And they've just done a phenomenal job of making sure she feels that. So, What I've seen, I, I think kids that are like the age of your kids, they get it better than adults do a lot yeah. of times. I'm not surprised, but it's cool to hear that. Well, how about um, what's been one of your biggest challenges for you? As a dad, oh man, um, particularly with Helena, or just as a dad in general, uh, adoptive dad, yeah. Okay, as an adoptive dad, because yeah, we could get into the whole parenting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I say, well, you had a twelve-year-old son. Yeah, so that's exactly. Enough. Yeah, <laughs> that's, said right there. Yeah, 
it's pretty. It's been pretty intense. I mean, for you guys, for yeah. the last three, four, five years, and so now you're kind of into the. Hey, now you're just being a dad. Yeah, I think probably the the biggest challenge for me is is the um, I think just the tension of all the roles that I have to fill mm-hmm. as a husband, as a father, as a provider. Mm-hmm. That combined with knowing what Helena's kind of unique needs are, mm-hmm. coming from a, a traumatic background that she comes from, and needing to needing to be there for her, needing to be present with her, needing to. Um, really take the time when she's upset or when mm-hmm. she gets hurt or, or you know, having to take the time to, to do some of that TBRI stuff of, mm-hmm. hey, let me see those pretty eyes and yeah. and not just kind of, okay, brush yourself off, let's move on kind of deal. Sure. Um, it, it's the challenge has been trying to fill all those roles and, mm-hmm. and then feeling guilty when I can't be everything that I need to be for Helena or for my, for my three other mm-hmm. kids. Because uh, coaching little league football, getting my other son to gymnastics, right. my daughter to piano, mm-hmm. um, trying to you know, help my wife with the dishes and dinner mm-hmm. and laundry, and 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 she's homeschooling the two younger ones now, and so trying to make sure that that she's having space to do that, and it's just all the, I I put it the the pressure of all those roles, yeah. uh, for me particularly, it's it's just so easy for me to let that pressure mount up. And, mm-hmm. and force me and squeeze me into being something that's convenient for me, but not necessarily what's needed for my kids. Mm-hmm. And in particular for Helena, um, continuing to be that safe place for her, that place of familiarity for her, yeah. uh, because all the other pressures and expectations just choke out the time that you have in your schedule. Um, so to me, that's probably the biggest challenge is, is trying to, to keep those other pressures at bay enough yeah. for me to be what I need to be for Helena and and then simultaneously not staying in that place of guilt or shame mm-hmm. when I don't do a good job at being yeah. that. Well said. And I think that's probably one of the biggest struggles for men in general is staying, you used the word being present uh, with any of our children, but yeah. especially a child that's coming from a hard place or traumatic background. Yeah. And just knowing that it's going to be that way. You know, it's not just a, the first year. Right. And when you have three other kids, too. Yeah. Busy that's schedule, the, busy life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a bit, I know there's a lot of, I mean, moms and dads have, mm-hmm. have their own unique, uniquely different pressures mm-hmm. that mount. And man, the, the pressures that are put on women in our culture are just astronomical. I mean, from self-image to right. being a mom to, yep. you know, all the, the, just the pressures and expectations. And, and my wife does a, does a pretty good job of balancing those. Uh, but I think there's also just the expectations that we have as, as fathers and as dads that maybe aren't talked about as much in, in culture. And when you look at our culture, mm-hmm. for the most part, like if you watch the average television show, the dads are made to look like idiots and buffoons mm-hmm. and inadequate yeah. and, you know, detached. Like, yeah, detached and, yeah. you know, so the Al Bundy syndrome, you mm-hmm. know, familiar with married with children. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's also those pressures we face as men uh, yeah. that aren't, that, that go unspoken a lot of times. And mm-hmm. I think when, when we, when we just try to suppress those things without really locking arms with other men and talking about it with other men and, and letting God meet us in those places, mm-hmm. And I think that's where we get to that place where we erupt or where we, oh, yeah. we detach or we disconnect um, and, yep. and we actually end up doing more harm than good. And so yeah. the fact that you're doing these podcasts and giving space for, for guys mm-hmm. to talk about that stuff, I think is, is phenomenal. Yeah. So, Well, what's a, let's flip the coin. What's a, a joy, like a, one of your biggest joys? Oh, man. I mean, you've, you've expressed a lot of them. But. Yeah, there's, I mean, just so, 
so much. I mean, I love we just we do we have a lot of family family game nights. Yeah, that was fun. And uh, right now our, our game we're playing is sorry. I'm about to say you know, it was like go at Helena's level. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, sorry, you flip over a card, you move the, yep. the guy that many spots, and you know. Oh, I love that game. Yeah, I love it. It's one of my favorite games. And so we've been playing. We, when we do our game nights and yeah. we're all laughing and having fun, you know, that, that's that's a joy for me. Yeah. Um, honestly, when I when I put Helena to bed, because uh, probably six out of seven nights a week, I'm the one putting her to bed. She'll, yeah. she'll come, Daddy, it's time to go to bed, you know. Yeah. And uh, I get to read a book with her and we get to snuggle. And, yeah. and, um, and one of the interesting things, she's about to be four, but she's still, she, she still wants a bottle at night. And so yeah. it's just water, right? She's drinking water, but something about that totally get it, yeah. drinking, sucking on that, that bottle comforts She's, her. Yeah. And it soothes her. Yeah. There's so much we could yeah. unpack right. with I'm that. I'm sure you'll have other podcasts to, to, <laughs> to cover that stuff. But, um, but getting to read a book to her and yeah. then, and then kind of lay down with her and next to her in, in bed and mm-hmm. she wants me to hold the bottle for her. Mm-hmm. And so hold that bottle as she'll suck on the bottle and then she, with her, with her other hand, she'll rub my earlobe. That's awesome. <laughs> And so I'm laying there. I mean, I'm laying there with my little girl, yeah. holding her bottle. She's kind of rubbing my earlobe, and we're just snuggling together. And I'm praying for her. And, and, I, got, and I have to say this: if those that don't know you, Brett, <laughs> Brett's like this former football player. He still is uber athlete, strong guy. And so I just had to give that visual for people. And so I love the. I love that though. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a softy at heart. So, yeah. uh, but just that that. No matter how rough my day's been, yeah. no matter how frustrating things have gone, no matter how where I've failed mm-hmm. to be who I need to be that day, at the end of the day, I get to lay down next to Helena yeah. and snuggle and pray and have her tell me she loves me mm-hmm. and watch her fall asleep on my chest. That's awesome. And for whatever reason, like all feels right in the world yeah. <laughs> in, in that moment, you yeah. know, and... and um, and so that, that's a great joy for me. And, and then also I think getting to watch Kylie and Ethan and Landon and Helena as our children yeah. play together, jump yeah. on the trampoline together, go across the street with play with the neighbors together, yeah. ride bikes together, and just seeing, like I just see that. And, and it's just such a picture to me. One of my favorite verses in scriptures in, in First Peter, he says, You who once were not a people, mm-hmm. now you are the people of God. You who once had not received mercy, now you've received the mercies of God. When I see Helena playing with my with, with her brothers and her sister, mm-hmm. like that just rings so true to me. It's like you who once were not a family, now you are a family. Yeah. You who once had not experienced the mercy and the joy that you're experiencing now, now, now you're experiencing it. And it, it just it, it, it simultaneously gives me a chance to celebrate not only what God has done in our family, but really what God's done in, in my heart and my life as a as a follower of Christ as well. And yeah. just it's it's such a beautiful picture and reminder of the faithfulness of God that, man, my heart just erupts with joy in those mm-hmm. moments. So, Well, I could sit here and ask you lots more questions. I appreciate you sharing not only the story, but then also just some of the real everyday life of what it's yeah. like to be a dad. Or, yeah. You know, well, I that you've... appreciate you sitting down with me give me the chance to yeah, to reminisce, man. And it's um, I get to tell that story often. But every time I tell it, it's, it's it oh. never ceases to remind me of, of what God did. So It's a huge faith builder. Yeah. It is. It's a bit like uh, you know, Peter is in the jail, and they they pray for Peter, and the, the prison the prison doors just fly open, and yeah. 
Yep. It says by the time he realized what was happening, he was already outside the prison. That was kind of by the time we got Helena home and looked back, it was like, what the heck just happened? Right. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah. it is definitely a faith builder. So, uh, and I, I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate your friendship and, yeah. and your leadership in, in this our, area. Yeah, glad our paths have crossed. Great. Thanks again. Absolutely. Well, again, I really appreciate Brett taking time to not only tell their adoption story, which, as you heard, was amazingly incredible, and but also uh, him sitting down and just being vulnerable and authentic about what it's like to be an adoptive dad now that he's almost two years into that journey and just sharing that with us. So if if you are considering or in the process of, of adopting internationally, I hope that Listening to Brett and Melissa's story gives you encouragement and hope as you uh, are on that journey. And if you'd like to um, get in contact with Brett and or Melissa, just reach out to me at Kenneth at KennethACamp.com and let me know that you'd like to get in touch with them. And I'll, I'll be glad to do that, get you all in touch about, you know, talking about uh, international adoption. And if uh, you are an adoptive dad, I hope that also the time that Brett and I talked about the joys and the challenges of being an adoptive dad was encouraging to you as well. You know, we men, as Brett referred to many times, um, don't do that very well. And our culture doesn't uh, encourage us to do it. But I want to give you space to be able to think about things, talk about things. And if you are an adoptive dad and you want to reach out to me, do it the same way, Kenneth at KennethACamp.com. Uh, also visit my website, KennethAcamp.com, and check out the other uh, podcast of the Dad to Dad series uh, where I sit down with some other dads to talk about these kind of things. And then one last thing, if you would, if you enjoy His Hands, His Feet podcast, I would love for you to go to iTunes, search for His Hands, His Feet podcast, and do a rate and review. That will help bring more attention to the podcast, and I would greatly, greatly appreciate that. So until next time, thank you for joining me here on His Hands, His Feet.